Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Oh gosh, that's so beautiful. I love that, whoever wrote that. It's absolutely brilliant. Well, it's good to see you all again this morning, everyone. I hope you're traveling well and having a great weekend. Uh, I'm going to assume none of you went to the Coldplay concert last night because you're all here. <laughs> I reckon all those people are sleeping and recovering, and hopefully we'll see them at the 10.30. But so good to see you. And of course, today is a big and important day for lots of different reasons. Uh, later on today, our Australian cricket team take on the mighty India. So I want to encourage you to join your hearts and faith together with mine as I pray and believe for a mighty victory later on today. And of course, today is also a special day because one of our dearly loved pastors and long-standing members here at The Rocks, Mr. Michael Remende, is celebrating a birthday. Can we put our hands together and share our love for Michael? For those of you new to The Rocks who don't know him, he's the uh, good-looking young man who was leading us in worship here and um, led us so brilliantly at the start of the service with uh, that awesome uh, cover version of Coldplay's song. Forget Coldplay, you can start a new band called Hot Stuff and you can be the front man. <laughs> I would offer to sing to you, Michael, but that would utterly ruin your birthday. So I just want to say happy birthday, mate. We love you. We appreciate all that you are and all that you do in the life of our church. And we hope that today you feel the love and the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God over your life. Amen. All right. Now, I remember when I uh, turned 21, just before my 21st birthday, my parents took me out for dinner. And we went to my favorite restaurant, and they bought me uh, my, my favorite meal. And we had a wonderful time together. They said all the things that you would expect good and loving parents to say, how proud they were of me and how much they loved me and how excited that they were that I made it to adulthood. And then just before we left, my dad handed me an envelope. And inside was a birthday card, and I opened it up. And there was a check inside. This was back in the day when people still used checks. And it was a check for 21,000 rand. Now, I know 21,000 rand doesn't sound like a lot of money in today's terms. But back in 1995 or whatever it was, 21,000 rand was a lot of money. And it certainly was a lot of money to a 21-year-old. And I cannot tell you how astounded I was to be on the receiving end of that gift. It was an incredibly generous demonstration of their kindness and their benevolence. And I remember feeling this very deep sense of gratitude for, for that particular gift. And then just a few months later, my dad took me down to the uh, car dealership, just not far from where we lived. And uh, he kind of gave me a figure and he said, you pick any car you want and uh, it's on me. And he paid for my first ever car, the first car that I ever owned, which would have been probably around 40,000 rand worth of car as well, which was just astonishing. And what made it so amazing was that it was unexpected and entirely undeserved. And my parents were not particularly wealthy, right? We didn't grow up in a, in a rich home. I mean, we were very much at the bottom rung of the kind of middle class ladder. So they didn't have a lot of money. And I just remember feeling this overwhelming sense of gratitude and privilege for having been on the receiving end of a gift like that. And I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that. Have you ever been on the receiving end of somebody's kindness or goodness or generosity in a way that was entirely unexpected and completely undeserved and left you feeling overwhelmed with gratitude? I certainly hope that you have, because if you have, you know what that feels like, right? And if you haven't, then I've got good news for you today. And no, you're not all getting cars, right? This is not the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is all those little 
uh, moments of kindness and goodness that we find ourselves on the receiving end of that are unexpected and undeserved really just serve as a little foretaste of a much bigger, much more profound, much more wonderful truth. And that is the truth of what we're talking about in this series. And it's the truth of God's grace toward us. Now, I have, uh, like many of you, grown up in a Christian environment. I was, I was raised in a Christian home. I spent many, many years in church. And for as long as I can remember, I have heard the grace of God defined as God's unmerited favor. The undeserved, unearnable um, grace of God, as Pastor Daniel described it last weekend. And that definition is 100% true. Uh, everything about that statement is true concerning the grace of God. The only problem with that particular definition is that it's inadequate. It's not that it's incorrect, it's just incomplete. It just simply does not do justice to the full semantic range of meaning that is jam-packed into that word called grace in the New Testament. It's just simply too narrow. It just does not encompass everything that grace is in the New Testament. So if you were to say to me, Tim, all right, well, what is your single sentence definition of grace? Like if you were to distill it down, like into a little phrase, how would you then define grace? And I would say if we're gonna define grace like to be theologically accurate and biblically faithful, Grace is divine enablement. That's it. Grace is divine enablement. Now, is it unearned and undeserved? Absolutely. Does it constitute the favor of God? You bet. But the grace of God is divine enablement. Now, how I arrive at that conclusion and that definition is a conversation for another day because that would take two sermons to explain, right? But part of why that definition is more biblically and theologically faithful and accurate becomes apparent when we consider the kind of manifold, multidimensional nature of God's grace. In a very real sense, the grace of God is like a diamond. Right? It's like this beautiful, precious, valuable, multifaceted, multidimensional thing that God makes available to us. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the five dimensions of grace that we see in the New Testament. Five aspects of God's grace that not only highlight the fact that it is, in fact, divine enablement, but just give us some sense of the scope and the magnitude and the profundity and the wonder of this particular gift, right? So we're going to go through them together today. And here they are. Number one, the first aspect of God's grace or the first dimension of God's grace is what we call common grace, common grace. And this refers to the goodness and the kindness and the benevolence and the providence of God that He shows to everyone always, all of the time. Regardless of who you are, where you live, what you believe, how you were raised, how you behave, doesn't matter what your background, your culture, your religion, God shows goodness and kindness, grace to everyone, everywhere, all of the time. And Jesus refers to this common grace in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 45, when He says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, Jesus is saying God is good to all. As the psalmist said in Psalm 104, His compassion is over all He has made. So it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, if you are Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu, 
if you are black or white, brown, red, yellow, or any shade of skin tone in between. It doesn't matter if you are gay or straight. It doesn't matter if you are a uh, good citizen or a bad citizen. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. God is good to you in that God has made it possible for you to live and exist and move and have your being in this world. So the air that you breathe and the rain that falls on the earth and the food that you eat, everything that sustains your existence is nothing less than God's common grace toward you. Uh, Paul the Apostle, when he was preaching in Athens one day to a group of, of pagans, uh, said this in Acts chapter 14, verse 15 to 17. He's talking here to non-Christian people, non-believers, and he says, friends, please notice that he calls them friends. Friends, he says, we have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things, these idols that you were worshiping, and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts, right? What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about common grace, the kindness, the generosity, the benevolence and the providence that God makes available to all people everywhere, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you believe. And thank God for common grace. Now, that may be where grace starts, but that is not where grace ends. And so the next dimension of God's grace, the second aspect of grace, is the one you're most familiar with. And it's the one that comes to mind when you think of grace, when most people talk about grace. And the second aspect of grace is what we call saving grace. Saving grace. And this particular dimension of God's grace is the aspect of grace that translates us out of darkness into light. Brings us out of the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God. It's the grace of God that washes your soul, that cleanses your conscience, that removes feelings of guilt and shame from off of your life, that forgives your sin. It's this dimension of God's grace that brings you into the family of God and makes God your father and makes you a child of God. It is the grace that redeems you, that saves you from a life of pointless, meaningless, aimless living and gives you a life of purpose and meaning and eternal significance. And the wonderful thing about this saving grace is that there is nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it or to merit it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Hey, Paul's saying there is nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing you can do to redeem yourself and nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. It is a free gift given to you. Uh, back in the first century, there was a very famous, well-known church conference held. In fact, it was the very first church conference. And all the leaders of the church gathered together to talk about something quite pressing and urgent. And that was what they were going to do with all the Gentiles. So the first century followers of Jesus were, the, for the most part, Jewish, because, of course, Jesus was Jewish. But what they noticed was people were starting to come to faith who were non-Jews, people who were Gentiles. And so there was this big debate about do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be followers of Jesus? And some were saying, yes, they need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses and keep the sacrifices. And others were saying no. And Paul, of course, was one of the leading proponents of those who were saying, no, you are saved by faith alone in Jesus. You do not have to be circumcised and you don't have to keep the law and you don't have to become a Jew. 
You just have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so there was this big church conference to discuss this, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. And in the middle of that conference, Paul makes it emphatic and clear in verse 11 of Acts 15 when he says, We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved in any other way than by the grace of God. And there is nothing you can do to deserve it, right? Um, I, I have in my pocket this morning a, a $50 note. And I would very much like to give this $50 note away. I'd, it would do my heart good. I would feel great. I would love to hand this $50 note to somebody. But the only problem is I can't unless someone is willing to receive it. Somebody here today has to say, I'm willing. I will receive that gift. So is there anyone here today who would like a $50 note? If you'd like a $15 note, just let me see your hand. Put your hand up. Would you like a $50 note? Would you like to receive the $50 note? Oh, come on up. Come on up and get your $50 note. Give her a hand as she comes. Come on up. Beautiful. Yeah, well, come on all the way up. Why not? What's your name? Isabel. There we go, darling. That's yours. No strings attached. You enjoy that. Have fun and don't give any of it to mom and dad. All right. Now, what did Isabel do to deserve that? Nothing. Did she expect it? Did she come to church thinking today I'm going to leave $50 richer? No, of course she did it. But what she did do was she received it. She was willing. She said yes. And the gift is hers. And it's exactly the same with salvation. You cannot, you cannot deserve and earn and merit the salvation of God. Think about it this way. Imagine you were invited to... Uh, an extravagant, luxurious dinner being hosted by the Prime Minister. A special occasion, some kind of celebration, and somehow you got an invite. And so you go to the dinner and you spend the night there. It's two hours long and the meal is sumptuous and the decor is ostentatious and there are all these rich and beautiful and uh, wonderful people there. And you just take it all in and you thoroughly enjoy the night. And then at the end of the evening... When everyone's leaving, the prime minister's standing at the door and he's shaking hands and saying goodbye to everyone. And so it's your turn. And you come up to the prime minister and, and you shake his hand and you say to him, Mr. Prime Minister, thank you so much for this amazing evening. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I, I, I'm a little in awe. I cannot believe that I got to experience this. And then you reach into your pocket and you pull out a $20 note and you press it into the palm of his hand. And you say to him, Mr. Prime Minister, please accept this $20 note as a token of my gratitude and as my contribution to this wonderful event. <laughs> he would think you're nuts, right? He would think you're crazy. He's not going to be impressed by that. He'll be offended, right? I bet you anything he'll turn to you and say, take your money, keep your money, please. Don't be ridiculous. You cannot possibly make a contribution to um, th this particular event. And yet that's exactly what we do with God, right? God, thank you so much for my salvation. Thank you for my forgiveness. Thank you for the freedom that I have in Jesus. God, would you please just accept my contribution to my salvation? Can I give you a little bit of my works? Can I give you some of my efforts, some of my discipline? God, would you mind if I just contribute some of my own self-righteousness to this so I can feel better about it? And God's like, no way, Jose. Put your spiritual wallet away. You cannot make a contribution to your own salvation. It is the gift of God. And I know that kind of offends the mind, but gee, it warms the heart, right? 
And there's nothing that you and I can do to deserve or earn or merit the saving grace of God. It is entirely His free gift to us. And thank God for it. Amen? But as amazing as saving grace is, and it is amazing, it's so amazing somebody once wrote a song about it, as amazing as that grace is, that's not where grace ends. There's more, right? I feel a little bit like an infomercial host this morning, right? But wait, there's more, okay? And the third dimension of God's grace is what we call sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace. And this refers to the dimension of God's grace, the measure of His divine enablement, that empowers us to be what God is calling us to be. So it's the measure of God's grace that makes us more courageous, more generous, more faithful, more patient, more loving, more kind, more benevolent, more persevering. It's the measure of God's grace that transforms us from the inside out so that we become more like Jesus in every way, so that we become more holy and more like God. Now, the word sanctify just literally means to set apart, to set something apart for a sacred or a holy purpose. And so what the sanctifying grace does is it takes us and transforms us so that we become holy and become useful to God. Now, that word holy just literally means different. That's all it means. I know when we hear the word holiness, we sometimes think of moral purity and we assume that to be holy is to be morally pure. And there's some truth in that because certainly God is morally pure. But holiness is not just about moral purity and piety. The word literally means to be different. So when the angels declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what they are declaring is the incomparability of God. They are saying, God, there is no one like you in all of creation. There is no one in the heavens and the earth that compares to you in power and in majesty and in glory and in beauty and wonder. There is simply no one. God, you are unique. And so when God says to his people, be holy as I am holy, what he's saying is be different. Be different in the same way that I am different. In a world full of hate, be a channel of love. In a world filled with conflict, be a peacemaker. In a world that is driven by greed and selfishness, be a person of generosity and benevolence. Be different as I am different. That's what it means to be holy and to be sanctified. And friends, here's the point. You cannot be saved by grace and sanctified by works. Let that sing in for a moment. You cannot be saved by grace and sanctified by works. And yet sometimes we come to God and that's exactly how we, we try to operate. We say, well, God, thank you for your saving grace, for redeeming me and forgiving me and letting me in the front door. I'll take it from here. I am now by my self-effort and my discipline and my resolve and my determination, I am going to sanctify myself. Can't be done. If you are going to become more like Jesus in every way, it is going to take the grace of God by the Spirit of God manifesting itself in your life, transforming you. That's not to say that discipline and dedication and perseverance are not important. Of course they are. But those things by themselves cannot make you more like Jesus. They are futile without the grace of God. It takes divine enablement. It takes the Spirit of God manifesting the grace of God to transform you. And that's precisely why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out His grace on me. And not without results. He says, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, 
Yet it was not I, but God who was working in me by His grace. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying, listen, if there has been any progress in my life, if I have matured in any way, if I have achieved any results, if I have become anything of significance in the kingdom of God, if I have become more like Jesus, whatever I am today, I am by the grace of God. Not only through my effort and my discipline and my determination, but because of divine enablement. And so if you are wrestling and struggling with an area of attitude or habit or behavior, and you feel like you just cannot get on top of it and you cannot get the better of it, I assure you that you're going to need more than willpower and determination and good counseling. You are going to need the Spirit of God imparting the grace of God to transform that particular area of your life so it becomes more like Jesus. Sanctifying grace. And thank God for sanctifying grace because it means I am not left to my own devices. It's not entirely up to me. I can only become more like Jesus by the grace of God. Amen. All right, next. Number four. The fourth dimension of God's grace is what we call serving grace. Serving grace. And this is the measure of God's grace that enables us to make a fruitful and effective contribution to the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth. Serving grace is what empowers you to be effective and fruitful in whatever it is God has called you to do. So if sanctifying grace transforms you to be what God wants you to be, serving grace empowers you to do what God has called you to do, whatever that might be. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the apostle talks about this aspect of God's grace when he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards or managers, administrators of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, Peter's saying, hey, whatever God has invested in you, Time, talent, energy, ability, capacity, opportunity, life experience, wisdom, whatever skill you have, it is a gift of God's grace. And he says you are to manage it and use it in a way that honors God and blesses others. You're supposed to use it to serve others. But here's the good news. There's grace for that. And if God has called you to preach or teach or counsel or lead or function as a politician or an educator or an artist or a scientist, whatever vocational capacity God has called you to operate in, I've got good news for you today. There's grace for you, grace for the task, grace for the responsibility so that you can be effective and fruitful in it. You, know, you take what I'm, I'm doing here today. You know, I, I've been preaching for almost 30 years. I started preaching when I was 19. I've spoken to groups of five people and I've spoken to groups of 5,000 people and everything in between. I have lost count of how many times people have come up to me and said, Tim, what you said today was so helpful or inspiring or insightful or revelatory or transforming. I, I was just about to give up and I heard you speak and I chose to continue. That word of truth liberated our relationship and helped us reconcile or this, that. I have honestly lost count of the number of emails and messages and personal conversations that people have sent me to say that to me. And often people will say things like, Tim, you have a wonderful gift of communication or you're a great communicator or people will say silly things like, you're one of the best communicators in WA or something silly like that, right? And, and I hear that and I go, nah, not really. No, I honestly can give you a list as long as my arm of all the things I do wrong as a communicator. All the, all the bad habits, all the mistakes I make, every reason why I'm not a good communicator. I, I'm a deeply introverted person. I really am. I'm quite shy. I, I, I'm not particularly energized by this. This intimidates me. 
I would happily not do it. I have no emotional fixation to this pulpit. <laughs> I, I do not need this. If God said to me tomorrow, well done, good and faithful servant, you're done, I'd be, thank you, God. <laughs> right? Because I know better than anybody else on earth that this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God's grace inside of me. I am just a jar of clay. But there's a treasure inside, and that treasure inside is the presence and the power of the person of Jesus made real by the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the grace of God. And so it's not my wisdom. It's his wisdom. It's not my truth. It's his truth. It's not my revelation. It's his revelation. If you hear anything come out of my mouth that's life-giving and helpful and a blessing to you, know that you've heard from him, not from me. And I'm not saying that to be humble or to try and create some impression of kind of humility. I'm just telling you the facts. That's how it is. And friends, it's as true for me as it is for you. Whatever it is that God has called you to do is going to be intimidating and frightening and overwhelming. And you're going to feel like there are days where you don't want to do it and feel like you can't do it. But I've got good news for you. There's grace. Grace, empowerment, divine enablement to do whatever it is God has called you to do and to be effective and fruitful in it. And, and finally, last but not least, the fifth dimension of God's grace is sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. And this is the kind or the measure of God's grace that enables you to carry on, to persevere, to not give up and give in. When you find yourself facing adversity and difficulty that you have no control over and that you cannot change. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something in your life, a difficulty, a, a problem, a, a hard situation that just would not go away? And, and I'm not talking about something like trivial, like your husband's smelly feet. I'm talking like something substantial. Right? Like maybe your husband himself. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were facing something and no matter how hard you prayed and how hard you tried, it just wouldn't change? Well, the Apostle Paul found himself in a situation exactly like that. And he refers to it as his thorn in his flesh. He doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but he describes it as a messenger from Satan. Something that harassed him and oppressed him. People have speculated about what it might have been. It could have been a physical ailment or affliction, a sickness or a disease. It could have been a personal opponent. It could have been a demonic entity. But something was causing Paul suffering. And he cried out to God three times, God, please take this away. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 9. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Friends, there are going to be times and seasons in your life where you're going to be facing situations and circumstances that you have no control over and that you can do nothing about. And everything inside of you is going to cry out to God, God, take this from me. God's word to you will be what it was to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Trust me, I'm going to carry you through. I'm going to see you to the other side. This is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But there is sustaining grace to preserve you and keep you and protect you and see you through to the other side. And thank God for that sustaining grace. Now, friends, this morning in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet and we're going to join our hearts together and we're going to pray as is our custom here at the rocks. Not so fast, mate. Sit down. <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm, but hold on. 
And we're going to do what the Scriptures encourage us to do. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. That's what we're going to do this morning. But I know that there are some of you here today who need to receive God's saving grace because you have never opened your heart to God's forgiveness and mercy and kindness. You have never come out of your sin and into His righteousness. You have never become part of His family or received God as your Father and known what it is to experience the relief of forgiveness of sin. And today, if you come to God's throne of grace and you say, God, pour out your saving grace on me, He will. For others of you here today, you, you just are facing a situation or a circumstance where you are feeling overwhelmed by what is going on in your world. It's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. And you need the sustaining grace of God. And as you come to God's throne of grace this morning and cry out to Him, that'll be the measure of grace He imparts to you. Some of you are facing a, a task, a responsibility, a vocational calling that God has placed on your shoulders and you're feeling overwhelmed and not sure how you're going to do it. Well, this morning you need God's serving grace. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And if you're comfortable doing so, join with me right now. Close your eyes, bow your heads. If you feel comfortable to do so, you're welcome to open your hands to heaven as a sign of your receptivity and whatever kind of grace you need this morning. I want you to pray in your heart and ask God for that grace today. So Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to come and stand before your throne of grace this morning. And we do, knowing that we can come confidently and boldly to a God who loves us and cares about us. And we want to thank you for the multi-dimensional nature of your grace. And this morning, whatever measure of grace is needed, we pray that you would impart it to all who are calling out for it today, for saving grace and for sanctifying grace and sustaining grace and serving grace. God, we pray that you would impart a measure of divine enablement today into the lives of your sons and your daughters so that we might be able to be all you've called us to be and do all you've called us to do and faithfully serve your purpose in our generation. We ask these things in the precious, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. And as we go from this place, Father, may your unmerited, undeserved, unearned and unearnable favor rest upon our lives every day of this week for the rest of our lives, that our lives might faithfully represent you in this world and that others might know you are good and you are God. And we ask this in Jesus' precious, wonderful name and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.